This is Dan Wharton Uncancelled. Let's go. It was only a matter of time, wasn't it, in a Conservative Party leadership race that has been praised internationally for its overwhelming diversity, a seeming rejection of the stale and male politicians who dominate the Labour leadership. It was still only a matter of time, though, before Team Rishi Sunak blamed his imploding campaign on racism. Forget the fact that Kemi Badenoch was a surprise favourite among the party membership before being booted by MPs for being too daring and different. Forget the fact that Liz Truss is a woman who went to a Leeds comprehensive... No, <clears throat> Sunak's failure is nothing to do with his big state high-tax agenda, which saw him increase our tax burden to the highest it's been in 70 years. Nothing to do with his globalist posturing and desire to cosy up to China by making the communist country our market of choice, as revealed and bombshell-leaked. Treasury documents uh, reported in The Times today. No, nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with the fact he backstabbed Boris Johnson, the man to whom he owes his career, plotting his leadership campaign, all while pretending to be his loyal chancellor. No, 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 no. No, it's down to racism. Conservative donor and Fishy Rishi supporter Lord Ranger told Indian news network Barrett Targ, if people reject him, it will be a bad name for the party in the country because this will be perceived as racist... And so there is pressure on them to prove that here race does not matter. Calibre matters. And Rishi's calibre is above everyone. I am optimistic that people here will be fair and will not reject anyone on the basis of race. Lord Ranger, I can assure you, the Conservative members are not rejecting Rishi based on race. They're rejecting him based on policies and a lack of loyalty too. He's added to his comments today in this Twitter video. It will be a watershed moment in British politics when a non-white candidate will prove that this country is ready for a change. And I can assure you, Rishi will have to work harder than anyone else because he has to prove that he's just as good, if not better. But as my colleague and friend Calvin Robinson tweeted in response, vote for me because I am brown is bad enough. If you don't, you're a racist is even worse. This divisive, toxic rhetoric is straight from the leftist guidebook on critical race theory and should have no place in the Conservative Party or the government of this great nation. The Sunday Telegraph's editor, Alistair Heath, uh, once a major fan of Sunak, summed up the mood of the party best when he described him today of becoming the Tory that the anti-Tories on Twitter love to support a new Hessel time, Clark, Hunt or Davidson, but who party members reject. And on Liz Truss, he wrote in today's Daily Telegraph, a former Liberal Democrat and ex-Remainer, she has the zeal of a convert. Her intellectual journey counts in her favour in the new Tory party. She has captured the membership's mood. Her decision last year... To oppose in Cabinet the calamitous historic blunder that is the 2.5-point national insurance increase was both right in principle and politically brilliant. So I repeat, this current thrashing is nothing to do with race, but everything to do with what it truly means to be Conservative. To respond now, my superstar panel, Star Daily Mail columnist Sarah Vine, the political commentator Dominique Samuels and the author and broadcaster Amy Nicole. I mean, Sarah, look, we saw in those hustings earlier tonight 
the Tory members are just not engaging with what no, Rishi um, is giving them. I think Rishi's problem is that he um, is very associated with the regime that has just fallen. And yet he... I don't think he backstabbed Boris. He stabbed him very much in the front. I mean, I don't think he was duplicitous particularly. Well, he set up that website ready for Rishi in December. Yes, but, I mean, Liz Truss has been planning her campaign probably for much longer than that. I mean, can, you know, anyone who's you senior... You just think that's politics? That's just politics. I don't think, I don't think that's particularly Rishi. But the members... Also, Rishi for, Rishi a... ready for Rishi is such a terrible slogan. I don't think it's done him any good, has it? Let's <laughs> no. be honest. It's, because it's, like, it's like phones for you. <laughs> but anyway, um, I don't, so I think, well, I think what they don't like is his entitlement. I think there's a little bit of whiff of entitlement about Rishi. It's, you know, I'm a clever guy, I did well as Chancellor, you know, this should be my prize. This is the problem that Gordon Brown had, this is the problem that George Osborne would have had. You know, the, 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 this is the problem with being Chancellor, is that you're always the heir apparent, mm. and then when the Prime Minister goes and you go, OK, it's my turn, now everyone goes, well, I'm sorry, I'm not sure it is your turn, because, you know, you're partly the architect of all this mess and actually no, and you can't just expect to be crowned. It's nothing to do with his race. And it's nothing to do with his race at all. I mean, the Tory party... I think is incredibly diverse, actually, especially if you compare it to the Labour Party, who are supposed to be the mm. right-on lot. I mean, we've had women, we've had, you know, we've had, we've had Rishi, for example, as a, as a, as a, as an Asian Chancellor. Well, you I know. think Kemi would so have won we've if had, she got to the. We've had Sajid. Yeah. I mean, However, two things can be true at the same time. So you can say, you know, not much of the, the downfall of Rishi has been to do with his race, but there is still some racism at play within his campaign. That if you type in... Where? What? If you look on Twitter, every time he speaks, That's people Twitter. will say racist comments. There's been a big um, question over his Hindu faith. I think, similarly, you know, you can say Liz Truss it, it didn't get elected because of sexism, but then sexism does exist within the Tory party. Similarly, Kemi Badenoch, you could say, you know, it wasn't because of race, but then that racism is still a part to play. I mean, I think... So I think it's just a piece of the puzzle, I think really. with, I think with, you can't uh, eliminate with it the entirely. Tories in particular, there are a lot of Asian Tories in the world. Yeah. I mean, the membership is quite... You know, the, you know I've been to lots of membership. Yeah. I mean, Dominique, yeah. this guy is Chancellor. He received exactly. the top exactly. backing from MPs. Yeah. And, and the reason Dominique Tory party members are not engaging with this guy is... I can promise you nothing to do with his race. Mm. It's to do with the fact that he's no, pursuing yeah, this high-tax agenda. I think what Lord Ranger said was, like Calvin said, it's right out of the leftist playbook of trying to emotionally blackmail people into doing what you mm. want them to do by using something that nobody wants to be, which is racist, against mm. them. And the fact of the matter is, when we saw all of the people that put themselves forward for leader, I think it was one of the most diverse lineups I've mm. ever seen yeah. in politics, right or left of mm. the political spectrum. And I was really pleasantly surprised by that. And the reason why it doesn't stack up is, like you said, Kevy Badenoch, um, she was extremely popular, and I think she would have won whoever she was up against, mm. whether mm. it was Liz Truss or not. So the idea that it's racist, again, it's emotional manipulation. The reason why people aren't feeling rich at the moment isn't because he's no. Asian, but because of the policies that he's presided over, for example, the national insurance rise, and because he is perceived as a backstabber, and that's but, just But that. I think this is just pointing out that it's not a level playing field, so the fact that Kemi is black will have played down. The fact that Liz is a woman has played down. It's not a level playing field. How do you know you it's played out? Be because, because, because you can see that. I mean, I would say, Amy, the people who really struggled in the race... Uh, 
with a straight white with a straight white male, like yeah. yeah, and Jeremy yeah. Hunt yeah. and Grant Absolutely, Shack. yeah. I mean, seriously, I, yeah. where is your yeah. evidence? No, no, no. I think, that's, I think that's a really naive take, isn't it? Really? Well, no, they, I'm sorry. No. They were the three straight white men in the race, you, and they all okay, struggled. So, are you saying that there's no racism, no sexism? I don't no. think it's playing a part in this Tory leadership. I don't. I, mean, I don't think there's any more. There's no more than there is in normal no, society. Exactly, but society I'm, is full of racist, horrible people. Exactly. We all know that, but they don't. They're not all Tories. But I'm. Not, is what I'm, I would say. You know, this notion, this this trope that the Conservative Party is full of racist people is actual oh, nonsense. And by the confused. way, Tony Sewell, you know, we are not an institutionally racist country, and I I think we're also not an institutionally... The country, the Conservative Party is not, not institutionally I'm, racist. Amy, what do you make I'm of this this piece. specific line from Lord Ranger though? Because this is what I have a real problem with. If people reject him, the country, because of this, will be perceived as racist. As Dominique says, that is emotional I think blackmail. he's talking about on the world stage. Wasn't he talking to an Indian, yes. Indian outlet? So I think if you look at it very simplistically, that could be perceived that way. But I don't think... I'm, I'm not agreeing um, with this. I'm just saying that it's not totally irrelevant and, and that it's not to be completely ruled out. I think that all these things do, do play a part, unfortunately. But I think most of the people that will perceive this as racist probably have no idea um, how leadership elections work or really the context of which this has actually come about because I've spoken to people who were really, really surprised to see so many black and brown people um, actually putting themselves and why forward. Is that? But then when you actually explain to them what's been going on, the fact that, you know, people like Nadine Zahawi have, mm. have been in Cabinet, um, held two posts in, in Cabinet, then obviously more recently Chancellor... Sajid. Um, Sajid Javid, Kemi Badenoch, all of these people, and Rishi Sunak. Swella Braverman, Swella Braverman, They've all been really obvious possible choices to replace the Prime Minister. So I mean, really Pretty Patel gets an awful lot of racist abuse, yeah. and most of it is from the left. But that's OK because she's on the right, isn't it? And, and it's OK because she's a Tory, and therefore it's OK to abuse her racially. Sarah, so we haven't had you on since the leadership contest. Is... is... I've been avoiding it. Oh, no, I was going <laughs> to say, so is Sunak exciting you? Is Truss exciting you? Can you see any of these... I don't think either of them... I, I'll be honest with you, and I don't... I mean, I... I I'm not trying to be horrid or anything, but I don't think either of them will win a general election, mm. I'm afraid. I, I, you know, they're, they're, they... I think Liz is obviously going to win unless there's some sort of major upheaval. Mm. But, um, uh, you know, and Rishi is probably... You know, he's the more experienced, he's the more... I suppose, you know, he's the sort of good-on-paper candidate, if you like, but Liz obviously has the heart and she has the passion and that's what's yeah. igniting her supporters and I think that's really well-deserved. What do you make of the petition, the Lord Crudders petition, showing this big backlash within the Tory grassroots to the coup against Boris? Well, I think, I think that's... Uh, it, we've been reporting that in the mail for a long time. I mean, we, we, I mean, our readers feel that they just they think that um, basically the, the MPs have just smashed it up for no good reason at all. Um, I mean, I've spoken to lots of MPs about this, and they all say, you know, well, we felt very strongly that we couldn't condone a sort of sex pest. You know, I mean, that it, it. I think what it shows is the abyss between. The people at the grassroots, ordinary voters, and the parliamentary party, and this is always at the heart of all these big schisms in politics and all these big upheavals. It's just the difference between what the MPs think, who live in this Westminster bubble in their world, and and have all sorts of different priorities, and just ordinary people who think, 
my goodness me, the man has an 80-seat majority. Have you all gone mad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why are we putting <laughs> that is not what the Final word, Amy. With it. No, 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 but come on. No, but we're talking people, about Tory party. Talking about Tory party members. People, people would perceive... Tory party members, he got an 80-seat majority and then he morphed into this absolute law-breaking debauch. No, he didn't morph into anything. He was always... He, no, 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 that's not fair. He wasn't... I mean, he didn't morph he into anywhere. There. He was always <laughs> Boris. They, they elect Boris. He's always been Boris. He's never been... I don't think he's ever pretended to be anything he's not, particularly. And Whitakim and Zuby on the way, but time now for The Clash. A woke art trust has been accused of racism after it funded a poster demanding straight white men pass the power. The Artichoke Trust bankrolled the controversial installation by the French-born black artist Nadina Ali, which was spotted by Madness of Crowds author Douglas Murray this week. Now, Douglas sparked a Twitter storm when he posted a picture of the provocative image with the caption, Perfectly normal instructions spotted in Southwark, London. Anyone else spot a backlash coming? It's since been revealed that the trust behind the stunt has received more than £3 million in taxpayer funding since 2018. So what do you think? Was it wrong for an art trust to use taxpayer money to fund this divisive poster? Let me know your thoughts. Dan at gbnews.uk, at gbnews on social media. The results shortly. But first, to do battle on this, let me bring in political YouTuber Maya Tusi, human rights campaigner Peter Tatchell, broadcaster and decur, ex Corrie actor Charlie Lawson and former Apprentice star... Joanna Jaju. So, Charlie Lawson, you're a straight white bloke. Do you feel under attack as a result of this art? Well, uh, I wouldn't normally be a fan of um, Mr. Eccleston. He, he's a little bit too serious for me. But I, I have to say, I am um, <laughs> finding it very difficult being a 62-year-old heterosexual tough guy um, <laughs> uh, uh, nowadays. Uh, and, and initially this morning, I was a little bit annoyed and then uh, slightly pissed off. And then I thought, well, this is just a load of nonsense now. Giving taxpayers money to whoever covers a multitude of sins and we all we all question where taxpayers' monies go. But I just think this is... I, I've thought about it, Dan, and I think it's just fuck stupid. Um, let me tell you this. It is very, very... I grew up in Northern Ireland as a, as a white man, a, a Protestant, blah, 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 all this stuff. Became an actor. And it is the toughest bloody job I have been through in 42 years. I have never had an advantage over anybody at all. So um, I, I, I find it's, it's starting to annoy me the more I get into this debate. And, and, and listen... Peter, I, I have admired you for so many years. You've got balls of steel, mate, and, I'm, uh, uh, and we may not agree, but I'm, it's a pleasure to be on the panel with you tonight. And uh, I, I don't know what you think about it. I think well, Peter, let, let's hear from Peter now. Peter, how do you respond to Charlie? He, Charlie feels like, actually, lots of white, straight men have huge disadvantages in society today. And by the way, Peter, the facts, actually, if you look at working-class white boys, uh, the, other, the other group of in society struggling most. I totally agree. You know, um, white working-class boys are some of the left-behinds, and we need to address that. I think about this particular installation. It was an art installation. It represented a very tiny fragment of the work and expenditure of the Artichoke Trust. I think that what they were trying to do was to provoke a discussion, a debate, to get people talking. And I think that's always a good thing. 
But I think there is an underlying issue here that overall we do live in a society where not all straight white men, but some straight white men do have disproportionate power and influence. And I think it's good that we question that. And I yeah, but it doesn't say some. It doesn't say I, some, I, does it? Well, you know, in a poster like that, you, you, you can't be too nuanced. The, the, the idea is to be, I think with that poster, is to be challenge people, to get them thinking. Okay, and I okay. do think it's really about sharing. It's about saying... Let's share the influence. Let's share the power. Okay, Narinda Kerr. I'm going to bring Narinda Kerr in now. Narinda Kerr, uh, Douglas Murray, who's written a brilliant article for this week's Spectator magazine about uh, this very subject, said, how would you feel if there was a poster that said, oi, black blokes, give us your rights, or hey, gays, hand over the cash? Would that be acceptable, Narinda? And if that's not acceptable, then why is this acceptable? That's not acceptable because we're a minority. The other, this one is acceptable because the majority, and actually, it's art. I can't understand why, why middle-aged white men are so triggered by this. Why is it called woke? It's just a discussion, it's art, and it's about time that, you know, this discussion did happen. But why, why is, you know, is it Paul from Northern Ireland? Why are you so triggered by this? Why are you Charlie. getting annoyed by this now? Charles, sorry. Charlie. Charlie, why are Charlie, you Charlie, so the legendary Coronation Street actor, Narinda, my God, you're from you. that I way. See, I couldn't see you here. I'm so sorry. I'm so far sorry. Charlie, Charlie, how do you respond? Charlie, why are you so triggered? Why are white middle-aged men? And you said, you said that sentence, oh, you know, I never had any advantage over anyone. You still had advantage over black and brown men. A huge advantage. And you don't know it because obviously you have... OK, well, let Charlie it. respond. Well, first of all, Jesus Christ, darling, you're getting awful triggered yourself, sweetheart. And yes, I, don't I am. Be patronizing, but you're, I am. Oi, hang on. <laughs> oi, oi, let me finish, darling. Listen, you're getting awful angry, baby, all right? Just settle down and let me answer your question. Oh, don't I tell me to, to settle you, down. Oh, for God's sake, wise up. <laughs> Listen, uh, it's a term of affection where I come from. If you don't like it, uh, tough. Look, <clears throat> listen, I'm saying to you, Somebody very interestingly tweeted from a Sheffield housing estate today saying, if he's frigging more advantage than anybody else, then I wish you'd give him some power back. So, look, I get this. First of all, this is not art. It's designed to provoke uh, the discussion we're having tonight, and you're the one who's getting very triggered, OK? So just settle down, OK? The world is changing, right? In the last three years, if we were, if, if the rules were reversed and it was a BLM demand or whatever, we have to accept that, right? I'm accepting this. It's But uh, one thing I will say, it is not art, Peter. In the name of Jesus, that's not art, mm. right? And if, isn't if the problem... Is there... is, isn't the problem, Joanna... I'm going to bring Joanna Jaju uh, in now. Joanna, look, I'm all for freedom of speech, OK? And I'm all for freedom of artistic expression. The issue that I have with this, Joanna, is that it's partly funded by us. It's partly funded by taxpayers. It is a racist message being partly funded through our money, Joanna. I have a problem with that. Can you understand why? Um, not really. I think that if you're going to fund art and if you're going to accept all forms of art, then you should accept this as somebody's expression. I mean, one of the most beloved artists in the UK is Banksy, and he is notorious for making very bold um, political statements. You know, he's... Yeah, but we don't pay for that. Do you see what I mean? 
Yes, but uh, the point is that people are acting as if this particular funding is that, you know, uh, the taxpayer has literally said, here's this sum of money, go and make these posters about straight white men. It's not that. It's that the taxpayer has basically funded this big art trust who then has um, commissioned this particular project. That is the difference. And within that, if we're going to be reflective and respective of the fact that the UK is a multicultural society, then we also need to be able to allow people to express themselves in different ways. But, but Maya Tusi, really really should we be paying for this sort of thing? I mean, that's the thing. The reality is it's not really the problem, the poster itself or the fact that... Uh, uh, we've been given uh, this organization over a million pounds uh, because of COVID grants and half a million pounds every year. It's not just that. The problem goes deeper than this. It's not necessarily just the actual article. It's actually arts in England, overall the organizations, all these institutions that we have been funding and giving platform for decades. Since the 60s and 70s, these people, the minority, very proactive minority of anti-Western people have been infiltrating the system. And they are going out there, spreading their propaganda, and we are essentially not just funding them, but allowing them to become into the system. And that's why it's not just this organization. The whole of the institution needs to go away. It needs to be abolished, as in, like, no longer state-funded. And actually, mm. I will go further and say the culture department shouldn't exist anymore either, because it is absolutely no business that the government has in these areas. P Peter Tatchell, how do you feel about that? I mean, why is the government funding art? Well, the Arts Council does amazing work, not much publicised, funding local community arts groups, theatre groups and so on. Those are arts initiatives rooted often in deprived communities where there probably are quite a lot of deprived straight white men as well as others, and I think they do great work. You know, I think yeah, it's fantastic. Work, it doesn't mean that we don't just have the funding for the high art, like the English National Opera and the Royal Opera House, but we actually have grassroots community arts organisations funded as well. And that is what most of the work of the okay. Show Narinda, what would you say to a young guy who is walking out of a council estate, a young white guy who happens to be straight, walking out of a council estate in Southwark? who I... sees that poster when he is in one of the most underprivileged groups in British society. What do you say to him? I'd say that he's still got so many more advantages than a young black but boy coming out of the But he doesn't, the statistics back up, estate. but he doesn't, Narenda. No, he still will Can have way more advantages in life, in society, going forward, than the young black man, the young brown man. Oh. Yeah, he's Joanna, still, Joanna, you come in. He's still miles ahead. Can I just say that privilege at this point, I think it's really ironic, first of all, that the people who usually call people like me woke and a snowflake are basically offended by something saying pass the power. Privilege is being in a position where you <laughs> then power? start to... Privilege is being in a position where you then start to um, say that, you know, these, this whole institution shouldn't get funding anymore because of saying pass the power, but you've lived in a situation like... So, I Charlie, are you just being a snowflake, like Charlie? And privilege. <laughs> no, the world could be in snow. You guys have been snowflakes. No, that's what I'm saying, Charlie. Listen, you just been a snowflake. Listen, listen uh, let me tell you something, darling. Let me tell you something. If I if I <laughs> was in charge of this bloody gun, I'd ban the word offended. 
you sound to me like one of these people who wakes up in the morning and says, right, what can I be offended by? I'm no, offended just you by can't say that about racism. Okay. It's not that weak, it's too strong. Charlie, you sound, you sound racist you saying that. how annoyed you've been. You, Charlie, you literally said to us, I woke up this morning, I was really annoyed, and then I was actually really yeah, pissed off for the whole day. But apparently I'm the person who's offended. I think Charlie. you kind of showed well, the I would never use snowflake. the word offended, darling, because I don't believe in it. Offense is oh, but you were annoyed and pissed off for the been, whole day. It's been hijacked stuff. by people like you. I'm people like you? Oh, my God, Charlie, stop while you're ahead. <laughs> no, but, What's but, been hijacked I'm not offended by, by this like at all. Charlie, you sound misogynistic as well as racist, I'm sorry to say. And all you're doing is making yourself look look like a buck idiot. No, I think you are. It's not, Charlie, right, that's well, not nice. It's a free country. <laughs> yeah, it is a free country, so no. we're free to say what we want to say and how we feel in if this country. If it's a free country, Charlie, why are you so pressed over this statement saying, pass the power? Is it that provocative? <laughs> well, are you going, I'm not, I'm I, but Joanna, you, but Joanna, you would up, be very... I grew up in a city where we had graffiti all over the walls and it was offensive or whatever you want to call it. So it doesn't bother me in the slightest. But don't you think... You should just settle down. This is a complete waste of money. It's silly. It's nonsense. And it's doing whatever Millions have been going from you the, decide from the you want to be Do you know the issue I have? And Joanna and, and Narinda, I'll, I'll give you the final word to respond to this. But the issue that I have is this sort of art is divisive. It is stoking racial divisions in, in this country. I don't want it banned, but I don't believe taxpayer money should be going into clearly racist artwork. Final word to you. That's not clearly racist. It's a fantastic piece. I think more taxpayers' money should be going into more things to make people think about how it is. And actually, I don't think the average white straight man is offended. I actually think that they're okay with this. I think you've had a couple of tweets and it's made a big deal. And I think middle-aged white... Well, Adam Brooks, who's one of our superstar panellists, he was incredibly offended by it last night. Joanna, final word to you. But then you need to pick, like, which side of the bed are you going to come out of, you know, every morning? Are you going to say that people are snowflakes and that everybody's, you know, really offended over too much? But then when it's you and it's actually something really minute, privilege is being in a position where something like this can offend you and you can prompt for it to be banned and not have to be in a position where you're walking out of your council estate, you're having dog poo put in your um, letterbox like I did when I was growing up. So even if Adam yeah, or whoever is called grew up in a council estate and even if they grew up in a, way, in a position where they were purely working class and struggled, I did, but I had the added layer of the racial abuse and that's where the privilege comes yeah, in. Where I but the point is, you are saying all straight white men are privileged. The facts do not bear that out. The okay. facts in 2022 UK do not bear I that out. And also the different but forms this of poster says all. This poster says all. It's not opportunity as well. Okay. When it comes to if I apply for a job and somebody else does, and okay. I've got an ethnic name. Well, look, fascinating debate. Thank you for having it all. That was the political YouTuber Maya Tusi, the human rights activist Peter Tatchell, broadcaster and Kerr, ex Cory actor Charlie Lawson, and the former Apprentice star Joanna Jaju. Both uh, sides of the story here on GB News. So, a spokesman for Artichoke, the organisation behind the poster, said. The artwork in question raises critical and urgent questions about the society we live in. We're not asking that the public should necessarily agree with the statements in any of the artworks, just that they should think and debate the ideas. So who do you agree with? Was it wrong for this art trust to use taxpayer money to fund the divisive poster? Anita says, 
it's racist. Change white for anything else and there would be outrage. David agrees and he writes, I consider it no more than a racist attack. And from Martina on the email, sexual orientation, race and sex are all protected characteristics. Would it be okay if the artist had spent taxpayer money on anti-gay black women posters? Of course not. And your verdict is now in. It's overwhelming. 91% of you agree that it was wrong for the Artichoke Trust to use taxpayer money to fund its anti-straight white man posters. Just 9% of you say it wasn't. Time now for the latest on the battle to be PM with Anne Whittacombe. One of the biggest challenges facing the next Tory leader is solving the channel migrant crisis. According to figures from the Home Affairs Select Committee, about 60,000 migrants are expected to cross the channel in small boats this year, more than double the 2021 total. No Nonsense Trust has vowed to tackle the illegal immigration by potentially leaving the European Convention on Human Rights and strengthening the UK Bill of Rights. Fishy Rishi, however, is reportedly reticent to pull out of the ECHR and has only offered unoriginal and harebrained solutions like housing migrants and cruise ships off the UK coast. And in the last hour, Sunak has laid out his immigration plan at the first official Conservative leadership hustings in Leeds. Watch. What we need to do is change the definition of what counts as asylum and we should move away from the very expansive ECHR definition, which allows people to claim all sorts of spurious reasons for being here, and move to the tighter definition under something called the Refugee convention. Secondly, we should make our foreign policy more linked to people taking back failed asylum seekers. If we're going to trade with countries on a preferential basis, if we're going to provide aid to countries, they, sh they really should be taking back asylum seekers that we want to make sure are not here anymore. Former Tory Minister and Daily Express columnist Anne Widdicombe joins me now. And you don't think Rishi's bold enough to solve this crisis? Well, nothing like. I mean, what he actually said was, uh, which didn't come over in that clip, uh, was that we should look to cooperation with the French as the answer. Now, that, as far as I'm concerned, is nothing short of a joke. Uh, we have paid the French millions already. They have done virtually nothing. Um, and the idea that we go on trying to solve this problem through cooperating with the French, frankly, is just a non-starter. We have to forget the French. They're not going to help. Uh, and therefore, what we need to do is, first of all, to implement the Rwanda policy. There will be no deterrent until the first plane load, a large plane load, a packed plane load, has left for Rwanda. There will be no deterrent until then. And if we have to come out of the ECHR in order to implement that policy, then Liz Truss is right. That is what we should do. And we should lose no time doing it. Now, what Rishi is doing is basically tinkering at the edges. Well, let's redefine asylum seeker. Come on, Rishi. I know. I've been an immigration minister. The definition of an asylum seeker is somebody who is in genuine fear of persecution. That is the definition. It isn't an economic migrant. It isn't somebody who's been in a safe country for years on end who decides he wants to come here. It's somebody who is in imminent danger of persecution. We have a perfectly workable definition. So stop tinkering, Rishi, and just get on with finding a deterrent to the economic migration, which is what it is. But, Anne, doesn't that sum up the entire problem with Rishi's campaign? He is really just tinkering with existing policies that aren't working. 
trying to look like he's giving a bit of red meat to the Tory base, but we can see through it. Well, yes, I mean, an obvious one is, is tax cuts. You know, he's sticking with the current policy, uh, trying to portray that as something very responsible, but in essence, staying with what we've got. There is no boldness uh, in Rishi. I mean, I called him today in my column Rishi-washi, uh, and, and that is exactly <laughs> how I feel he's conducting himself, and there's no imagination there. There's no boldness there. There's no buccaneering there. There's absolutely nothing there at all except more of the same, more of the same. Meanwhile, Anne, Liz Truss seems to be gaining confidence. And I watched her at the Hustings in Leeds earlier tonight, and even some of her uh, critics are saying, actually, she's not so wooden. She's starting to perform. She's connecting with the audience. It feels like she's getting a bit of a glow on as this campaign continues. Yeah, I think two things are happening. First of all, I think she's received advice and she's listened. And you know, lots of politicians get advice. I'm sure Boris did, but his great failing was he never actually listened. Uh, and I think she's probably listened. But the second thing, I think she's gaining natural confidence. And, and, and that's just got to be a good thing. Uh, and I think that that is very much happening as she's gaining in the polls, as she's getting a good reception. She's gaining in confidence. And actually, the key to an inspiring performance is to be relaxed, to be utterly convinced of what you're saying. That's the key. It's not to assume a rhetorical style. It's to really mean the thing you're saying. That's starting to come over. No, I agree. Anything Rishi can do, and because the ballots get sent out on Monday and you know what Tory members are like, they're usually pretty honest, Anne. They, they vote immediately. They're not just going to leave it there for a few weeks, are they? Even though they can change their vote, it's highly unlikely most folk will go down that path. I suspect most of them have already made their mind up what they're going to do. Uh, you know, it, it's like getting postal votes in local elections. You tend to know what you're going to do, so you just do it when the thing comes in. So uh, I, I think Rishi's got a huge amount of ground to make up. I doubt very much if he can do it. Let me say right away, you know, I'm grateful to him because he was always a Brexiteer. He wasn't a late convert like Liz is. He was always a Brexiteer. Uh, and I think he is bright and I think he is competent and I think he's got a good future. But he lacks bold ideas, completely lacks them. And what we need in this post-Brexit, post-pandemic world is bold ideas. Big time. And you've got them. Anne Whittakam, thank you so much. We'll speak next weekend. Breaking tonight, the NHS has announced it is shutting down the Tavistock Centre, the UK's only gender identity clinic for children, after it was found to be rushing under-18s into gender reassignment treatment. A bombshell report revealed the clinic is not safe and that other mental health issues have been, quote, overshadowed once children treated there raised the issue of gender. From next spring, it will be replaced by regional centres and existing children's hospitals that will seek to offer more holistic care and a broader range of doctors. 
The decision follows the high-profile case of Kara Bell, who under the care of the Tavistock Centre was prescribed puberty blockers at the age of 16, but later changed her mind about her decision to transition to male. Kara then became a crucial whistleblower after she pursued a judicial review to stop other kids repeating her mistake. The High Court initially ruled in favour of Kara in the Landmate case and NHS England uh, immediately declared that under-16s would not receive blockers without a court order or that decision was overturned in September last year year. The closure of Tavistock today means that in the end, Kara really has won in her defence of vulnerable children. I spoke to Kara on the show recently and having learned from her own harrowing ordeal, she made the case against transitioning full stop. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I firmly believe that uh, gender dysphoria is a symptom of, of, of deeper things going on. Wow. Um, I mean, yeah, it's as, it's as simple as that, really. I mean, uh, there's no such thing as being born in the wrong body. Um, so, yeah, I, it's, it's quite shocking to me when I look back and none of the adults really uh, noticed that or, or cared. In a disturbingly similar story, Rishi Heron is now suing the NHS over claims he was pressured as an adult into receiving surgery to remove his genitals. Richie no longer identifies as a trans woman and he firmly believes that the clinics need to be more thorough in their assessments before encouraging life-changing surgeries. And I'm delighted to say that Richie joins me now alongside the executive director of Sex Matters, Maya Forstatter. And Richie, I'm going to talk about your story in just a moment. But first, Maya, can you just set up what this decision today actually means? Because it's something that folk like you have been battling for uh, for a long time. Yes, it's, it's good news. Um, this comes after uh, the, re the report of Dr. Hilary Cass, who's a paediatrician who was asked by the NHS to review um, what's, what's been going on at the Tavistock following all of the whistleblowers. Um, and her, her research is still ongoing, but she has said it's it's not safe um and the care that it's that it's giving is not based on on sound research and so what she's called for is for more localized care care that focuses on children's mental health and that doesn't just push them onto a pathway to transition um and so it's as a result of her interim findings that they're now closing down the Tavistock and planning to open um a series of uh, more local centres where children will um, be assessed in terms of uh, what you know what's really going on with them, rather than seeing gender as being the only answer. No, indeed. And and Richie, your personal story is utterly harrowing. You are now suing the NHS because you went through the gender reassignment. It's essentially ruined your life, hasn't it? And you don't feel that there were the right checks and balances in place to make sure that you were mentally ready for the huge physical transition that you were put through. That's right, Dan, and thank you very much for having me on to, to tell thank my story. Um, the thing was, is I actually told them basically everything that was going on, and despite that, I still got went through. So to me, it, it seemed kind of redundant to go through all that, to tell them absolutely everything, to go through this intense process of therapy, and I didn't, I didn't get caught by the safeguards, and I'm not alone in this, and that's one of the reasons why the Tavistock is closing down. Um, 
And also, I would imagine that this will be extended to the other gender clinics. But an important point to note is, I feel the move towards the regional centres was something that was going to happen anyway, because they have quite a lot of people to deal with. Now, what we don't want is we don't want this to just open the doors to anyone. We want to make sure that all the safeguards get put in appropriately, not just for children, but for adults too. Because the consequences of this surgery, Richie, I mean, it is truly life-saving. I know you've been very open about this and you now describe the transition as the biggest mistake of your life. Uh, I believe you've been left infertile, incontinent and in ongoing pain as well. So this is going to have right. massive ramifications. Yeah, that's right, Dan. And the thing was, is as I was going through the lead up to that process, I had a lot of red flags that weren't addressed. Um, and even taking that to the side, the conversation about the longevity and the procedure itself, how it works, what does it look like when the results are good? What do the results look like when they're bad? None of that happened, and it should have. Now, I'm sure other people who go through this process may have a better level of care, but to me and other people who have had a lot of these similar issues, it doesn't seem to be the standard. It seems to be potluck, and, yeah, and something and, like this should not be potluck. And can I just clarify, Richie, you, you say now that actually post-surgery, you've realised that what you were really battling with was your sexuality rather than right. your gender. Yeah, um, and I think I'm not alone in this. No. Uh, the Tavistock report came out to say that a lot of gay kids were, were going through the transition process. Um, and obviously, I wasn't a child when I went through. I was an adult. But it does impact vulnerable adults, too, because the issues that you're faced with, like internalised homophobia as a child, will yeah. be there with you when you're an adult. That's not going to go away yeah. by itself. And, Maya, this is the huge issue, isn't it? Teenagers, the hormones are running rampant. People are trying to work out what their sexuality is. And, and, and lots of kids, lots of teenagers, you know, I've been there who are thinking, am I gay, am I lesbian, are being pushed into life-changing, horrible surgery. And Yes, and, and hormones don't just change your body. You know, it's puberty that... Um mature, you know, that's how a child's mind matures. So children are being asked to make a decision which will affect the whole of the rest of their life before their brain is ready to make that kind of decision. And then puberty blockers stops their brain from from developing that maturity. That that was that's a really big issue. Um and the JIDS uh the Tavistock um started this uh process of of giving hundreds and thousands of children puberty blockers before there was research to show whether it was reversible and what it does to children's minds and their bodies. Um, and it was it was one of our uh, directors of Sex Matters, Dr. Michael Biggs, who pushed uh, the Tavistock to release that data. They had the data and they weren't releasing it. They were saying, oh, yes, this works. It's reversible. Uh, this is the answer. When, in fact, when, when they looked at the the children they'd been giving this to, the girls were less um, happy. Their gender yep. dysphoria was not going away. It was not solving the problem. Um, and it, 
you know, it was creating the problem. No, indeed. Indeed. Well, look, number one, and I don't use this word lightly, both of you are incredibly brave. We want to keep having this discussion with you because there's so much still to unravel. So, Richie Heron, thank you so much for being on the show for the first time. And Maya Forstatter, the director of Sex Matters, always a pleasure to speak to you. Of course, we get both sides of the story here on GB News. And regarding Richie's case, in a statement, the Cumbria, Northumberland, Tyne and Weir NHS Foundation Trust said it could not comment on an individual trust, on an individual case, sorry, but added care plan. Of course, we get both sides of the story here on GB News. And regarding Richie's case, in a statement, the Cumbria, Northumberland, Tyne and Weir NHS Foundation Trust said it could not comment on an individual trust, on an individual case, sorry, but added care plans are collaborative and tailored to each patient's needs and goals and treatment decisions are made following a thorough assessment in line with national recommendations. Tomorrow's news tonight now on our media buzz. Just one front page for now. It's a feisty one, though. <laughs> the Daily Star, money-grabbing scumbags, their headline, as they slam the British gas and shell bosses raking in record profits while millions face fuel poverty. My superstar panel back with me now. Star Daily Mail columnist Sarah Vine, political commentator Dominique Samuels, and author and broadcaster Amy Nicole. And breaking tonight, Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak have gone head-to-head -head at the first official Conservative Party hustings of the leadership contest, where, among other pressing issues, they were challenged on their energy policies. Right, I'm also the Chancellor that you talked about green energy, created a free port using the freedoms that we had from Brexit to come up with a brand-new policy that right now in Teesside is attracting investment and jobs in the industries of the future, in offshore wind, in hydrogen, in carbon capture and storage. I, I support fracking in areas where people want it to happen. And I do think it can be part of the solution, as well as releasing more of the North Sea gas reserves. But more of the North Sea gas reserves will be quicker. We also need to do more nuclear power. Frack, frack, frack. Good on you, Liz. Happy with that. The Hustings clash comes as eco-zealots in the Green Party called on the two Tory leader hopefuls to commit the UK to even tougher environmental targets, despite the UK already being on quite a deranged march, actually, to net zero. Using last week's heatwave as justification to push their ruinous green agenda, the party's co-leader Adrian Ramsey took aim at the Conservative government, saying... Unfortunately, successive governments have for too long focused on economic growth at all costs without acknowledging that it's the quality of our economy that matters, not just the quantity. 
A narrow focus solely on economic growth will exacerbate the climate crisis and worsen social inequalities. And I can't stress this enough. The next Prime Minister must ignore the pressure from the dangerous climate alarmists. I'm an environmentalist, as you all know, but we can't adopt policies that lead to economic oblivion for hard-working folk. Just look at Sri Lanka. Just look at the Netherlands at the moment. Boris Johnson did a lot right as Prime Minister, and you know I'm a big supporter of his legacy, but one miscalculation he made was given in to eco-zealotry led by the likes of Greta. So should the next PM learn from Bojo's mistakes and avoid pushing a disastrous eco-agenda? I know, Dominique Samuels, you have very strong views on this. Yeah, I mean, the net zero agenda is completely ruinous and it's being led by global organisations such as the World Economic Forum, which... They all think, want us to eat bugs now, but... Yeah, they all want us to eat bugs. They want us to own nothing and be happy. They want us to um, stop eating meat altogether. But, of course, it's going to be the people that can afford to eat meat that will be continuing to do it and it'll be the poor people eating yeah. synthetic Just like they'll keep taking their private jets to Exactly, the they're completely While hypocrites. we will be banned from any air travel anywhere. And I think we need to be honest about what net zero means for hard-working people. I know people like Amy like to present this as some... People. Like to present this as some cushy dream about saving the planet, but really what it's about is control. It's about controlling people's lives. It's about controlling what they eat. It's about controlling what they drive. It's about controlling how they heat their homes. There's a reason why in Germany they're trying to encourage their citizens to do things like energy rationing. That's what this sort of stuff consists of. And I know your heart is in the right place when it comes to this green stuff. Yet. But I know what your opinion's going to be, though. <laughs> but in reality, it's about controlling people, and the only people that lose out are the ones that can least afford this. Well, I, mean, I, I will come to you in just a moment, but, Sarah, the, the, I just wanted to ask you first about Kemi Badenoch, because I know you were very impressed uh, with yeah. her campaign. And one of the reasons I was so impressed with her campaign is I feel she was the only Tory leadership contest who was actually honest about mm. net zero. Yeah, and and She didn't commit 100%. That's the point, because we've got to mm. be careful that we don't destroy our economy. Yeah, I mean, I thought what Kemi was very good at doing was saying, look, you know, there is no easy solution, there is no happy choice, they're all, you know, least good choices. You know, you've got mad choice A, silly choice B, bad choice, whatever it was she said, which I thought was quite good. And that sort of applied to everything that she was talking about. It's a very pragmatic approach to government. And also not patronising the electorate into saying, you know, we can achieve these incredible, mm. you know, ambitious things, which, which we actually can't, because as we all know, you know, we're not really the problem when it comes to climate change. It's places like China. And, you know, there's only but so much we can do. destroy the lives, Amy, exactly. of hard-working folk. Well, this is the problem, isn't it? If you prioritise the economy constantly, then it's at the expense of the planet. That's what you're doing here. And it's really interesting, I think, with conservative ideology, you want to conserve, you want to conserve, you want to save all the money, but you want to use up all the, all the resources, all the natural resources. But we're not so doing that. So we're less than 1% so of carbon emissions. Yeah, we exactly. are leading the world. We're doing really well. I would like to think you would like to lead by example on this stuff. And actually, in the wider electorate, this is really appealing stuff. Like, people put net zero a big priority. So it's very short-sighted. I think that what Liz Truss said Unless there... Unless you're a farmer. What Liz Truss said there is going to appeal to that far-right Tory... The Conservative Party members to the wider electorate. But I think that when you look at scrapping things like the green levies, it will do, it will do a lot more, and, and fracking, it will do a lot more damage in the long term than the short term. So it's just a case of not being short sighted. But in the long term, we've seen over a decade 
this obsession with renewables has right. actually made our energy unnecessarily more expensive. Countries that actually focus on being more self-sufficient have driven down prices. Meanwhile, we're obsessing over renewables and not actually making sure the people in this country are self-sufficient. It adds about £400. But it's, yeah. it's completely necessary. Surely no Conservative government, no Conservative Prime Minister with the energy bills rising to the rates that mm. we expect them to go to. And, mm. you know, Martin Lewis, money-saving expert, yeah. he's issuing loads of warnings on this at the moment. No Conservative Prime Minister can keep 23% green taxes. No, you can't. But I mean, what needs, to, but what needs to happen is that we need to start looking at alternatives. Micronuclear sta uh, power stations are, you know, something that Liz has talked about, which I think a very good idea. Fracking also. A lot of the, a lot of the uh, obstacles to us reaching net zero have actually been put there by the environmentalists who won't let us do fracking, mm. who won't let us do the, build the little nuclear power stations that we need to build because they don't want that. Right. Well, there's a difference between people who are concerned about the environment, want to save energy, want to live more efficient lives, and people who just want us all to go back to the horse and cart. And the horse and cart. And the horse and cart people are the ones, you know, throwing milk around Harrods because they can't bear the fact that someone likes a cup milk, a bit of milk in their tea. And they are the ones who have dominated the debate. They are the absolute sort of extremists. And that's the problem. And and I think you're right. I think people are interested in net zero, but they also recognise that Britain has done an yeah. awful lot and but has set an example. Let's just wait until it impacts their life in the way yeah, that it Dan, is making people starve so, in Sri Lanka no, because the government this, decided we're going to ban fertiliser. What I think that Dominique and yourself are guilty of in this is using the green limits, the green tax, as a, a scapegoat for the profiteering that is going on within these. Hold up that Daily Star headline again. That's where you want. Well, that's where you want to go in, in on. I'm not inconsistent. <laughs> that's the problem. On this. <laughs> I'm not inconsistent. The on green levy is a small fry in tax. comparison anyway. to the profiteering going on, and that's what we should concentrate yeah. on. Do you, do you know what? Everyone likes net zero when it all sounds nice and fuzzy. When all of a sudden we're unable to eat meat, uh, it is going to cost so much money to get any natural produce, mm. when it's going to be impossible to actually pay for the cost of electricity bills. I'm sorry, there is going to be a reaction against net zero and, in this and, country. And more importantly, when you talk about the profits from energy companies, Part of what they're enjoying is government money via our taxes yeah. for this renewable By our ridiculous subsidies. So of course of they want to keep going. Of course, that's tax. why they don't want <laughs> fracking and they don't want nuclear. <laughs> exactly. Now, Nadine Dorries was forced to cut an interview with Kay Burley short earlier today after the cameraman had an altercation with an aggressive passerby off camera. While Sly News left the feed running, no doubt hoping for a viral moment, what ended up happening didn't actually fit their agenda. The straight-talking culture secretary, who was about to answer a Kay Burley gotcha question about the cost of a Commonwealth, uh, the cost of the Commonwealth Games, proved her lefty haters wrong with a composed and empathetic response. Look, I'm afraid we're going to have to go now. The government. What should I? What are you going to do? Well, we're going to have to go, Kay. I'm sorry. Why? Well, come on, I'm going to have to go. Oh, anybody, touch me then. You can't, because I'll have you arrested for assault He's by not beating. touching you. He can't touch me, madam. What do you mean, he ain't touching me? He can't. I'll have him arrested in five seconds flat. Touch me, then. Anybody in there touch me, it's assault by beating. One finger. And the next. It's a security. One finger. 
Maybe the snaring snobs at Sly News will finally realise Nadine is calm and compassionate, as proven in that moment, unlike them, given they left it rolling. Welcome back. More of tomorrow's newspaper front page is coming up. But first, the quest for answers over COVID-19 has finally begun. The first phase of a government-ordered inquiry launched last week with the aim of determining whether the UK was adequately prepared for a pandemic. Here's the chair, Baroness Heather Hallett, giving her opening statement. Although life is beginning at last to return to normal, the pandemic is still with us and there are many who are still suffering. Those who have suffered the most want to know if anything could have been done to prevent or reduce their suffering. And that is why this inquiry has been established. While the inquiry's first witnesses won't be called until next spring, my esteemed guest tonight fears the whole investigation could be botched if critical key questions are not asked. Sunitra Gupta, a professor of theoretical epidemiology at the University of Oxford and co-author of the Great Barrington Declaration, says... The most important issue to probe is not whether the government acted at the right time, but if draconian lockdowns that ravaged our economy and sparked a national mental health crisis and a health crisis too were justified at all. Now she's worried the establishment will close the book on COVID without any critical analysis of this hugely damaging concept. I'm delighted to say that Professor Gupta joins me now. And Professor, I am so concerned about where this inquiry seems to be headed. It, it seems to be asking that really narrow question about, oh, if we'd locked down two weeks earlier in March 2020, would none of this have happened? I mean, is that what you're feeling? No, I mean, yes, I'm uh, aligned with you, with you in, in, in being very worried about this because, of course, that is a common tactic, isn't it, when, you know, you, you face this very complicated question and instead of answering, going you know, slicing right down to the middle, you start to answer ancillary questions, uh, some of which make no sense. So, you know, often when you're confronted with a bully, they will, instead of addressing the issue at hand, they'll say, well, actually, this is what could have happened, or you could have washed those dishes earlier. And, you know, it, it's really very problematic when you have a situation where the you're not confident that the general purpose of this inquiry is really to slice down to to the, the, the actual matter of it. And it's interesting what the clip that you just showed, the people who suffered most, who were the people who suffered most? That's what we need to first think about. And we know now, we really do know now, there are reasons to excuse people for maybe not knowing two and a half years ago, but really there are no excuses anymore well, no, um, and... to not know. That the children suffered most, that yeah. the poor suffered most, that, you know, this disadvantaged bear, bore 
the brunt of this. And so if that's who suffered most, then we should try and understand why they suffered most. And we also know now that lockdowns did very little to prevent the spread of infection. And even if they had been able, been successful in that material aim, that, 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 that it did not necessarily achieve anything in the, you know, slowing the spread of infection is not really a sensible way to tackle um, a respiratory pandemic of, of this um, ill. And it's, you know, one of the things that I think we're battling, Professor Gupta, is that it has just been so widely accepted in the establishment and in the mainstream media that lockdowns work. When I have conversations with folk who operate and exist in those circles and I try to explain to them, do you not understand lockdowns are not proven to have worked for all of the reasons that you've just explained? They literally look at me as if I'm crazy. Well, this was the big problem, is that, you know, the, the biggest uncertainty, um, you know, there, there were uncertainties concerning how the pandemic would spread, what the virus actually was composed of, its biologic properties. But uh, the biggest uncertainty was whether lockdowns or any of these interventions would stop its spread. But there was no uncertainty as to whether these interventions would cause enormous distress. No. And so there was this very peculiar inversion of, you know, certainty and uncertainty in going forwards. Um, what we know now um, with some certainty is that lockdowns do very little uh, to, you know, uh, pr to... Inter to stop the spread stop that we were constantly the told they would do. Or, or to materially stop the spread in, a, in any way that actually reduces the harm yeah. caused. Well, yes, um, and, and, and then also, what about the health consequences of lockdowns? I mean, Sarah Vine, who's on our panel tonight, heard you were coming on and said, well, you've got to ask, what, what about all of the cases of hepatitis now in children that, well, that, that seem to be linked to the lockdowns? Well, that is something many of us warned about right yeah. at the outset, which is that when you institute these lockdowns, what you're doing is you're knocking on the head those... Um, viruses, those pathogens, which are endemic, because they're sort of at equilibrium. And if you suddenly bring in lockdown, they might transiently disappear from the circulation, whereas you do almost nothing to halt the spread of epidemic viruses, which are starting off in a, in a situation where most people are non-immune anyway. So what you're doing is you're doing nothing to stop the spread of the pandemic, and you are knocking out these other endemic viruses with which we live, you know, I wouldn't say happily, but, you know, we tolerate their presence. And typically, you get them when you're younger, when you, uh, and you are, um, you don't suffer the consequences that you would suffer if they were suppressed, and then suddenly, came back all in one rush, as they're doing now. Um, and the, the hepatitis cases are possibly, you know, one doesn't want to be too strong in uh, emphasising this, but, you know, this is a what we call a perverse consequence of intervening, where you increase 
the average age at which someone gets an infection, which itself could be damaging, but you also suddenly have this sudden sort of onrush of all these pathogens mm. that have been suppressed transiently, and so you get these co-infections. And you know, some rather very elegant studies now are showing how those co-infections could have led to these really awful, um, you know, instances of children needing liver transplants. It's, it's just heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking is the word, and uh, you have been a leading light over the past two and a half years now, so please keep fighting the good fight and we will speak soon. That is Professor Sunitra Gupta, a professor of theoretical epidemiology at the University of Oxford. We're going to keep on this inquiry because it's really important that this inquiry honestly looks at not just what happened with COVID, but what happened with lockdowns too. So on this show, we've got our own lockdown inquiry, plus we're going to be keeping the COVID inquiry honest. Let's return to tomorrow's news site now on our media buzz. More front pages are in, and The Independent leads with the outrage sparked by the soaring profits of energy firms. Shell and Total posted record earnings today after experts warned average bills could hit £3,800 a year. The Daily Express splashes on Rishi Sunak's pledge to double the number of foreign criminals deported if he becomes prime minister. He wants to halve the length of prison time required to trigger automatic deportation to six months. The Guardian quotes Francis O'Grady, the General Secretary of the TUC, as saying the eye-watering profits of energy firms insults working people. Annual energy bills could hit £3,850 from January. My superstar panel return now. Star Daily Mail columnist Sarah Vine, political commentator Dominique Samuels and the author and broadcaster Amy Nicall. And breaking tonight, Ben Wallace, the Defence Secretary, has declared his support for Liz Truss in the battle to be Prime Minister. In a huge boost for Team Truss, the... Uh, very popular cabinet minister, exclusively told The Sun newspaper that the Foreign Secretary is, quote, authentic, honest and experienced with the integrity for the top job. What's most fascinating, though, is Wallace also attacked her rival Sunak for abandoning his post in cabinet and throwing the government into chaos. And Sarah Vine, this is a really significant endorsement, yeah, is, even yeah. more than Priti Patel. Yeah. This was the cabinet minister mm. that both the leadership contenders mm. wanted. He would have had a strong chance yeah. of winning himself. He was in the race. And he's really gone for Rishi Sunak. I've just read the interview by Harry Cole, and, and he says, look, what happened if the markets collapsed yeah. the day that the Chancellor quit? I'm the Defence Secretary. We're in a battle with Ukraine. I couldn't just quit. Yeah. Yes, I mean, Liz has obviously got all her ducks in a row. This is going to happen now. There's going to be very carefully orchestrated support coming out for her. But don't to forget that on Monday, I think it's Monday, that the ballots go out. Mm. And this is quite significant because, of course, Rishi was hoping to spend the summer persuading the uh, membership that he was the guy for the job. But that's not going to happen because no. what's going to happen is they're going to get their ballots Monday, Tuesday, and most of them will just... Vote immediately. ..vote by return of post. And they'll probably vote for Liz. And, of course, this... Ben Wallace will sort of, you know, really reinforce that notion. 
Yeah, so it'll be interesting, Dominic, to see if Priti Patel declares over the weekend. Because yeah. that's the other thing now. People can see the writing on the yeah. wall. They can see there's going to yeah. be a trust prime ministership. Someone like Priti wants to be in the cabinet. And also there'll be a sort of lemming effect, because, as you mm. say, they want, they want jobs, and they're sort of going to be jostling for that. Naturally. <laughs> now, as we discussed earlier in the show, uh, the Tavistock Clinic has been shut down following a bombshell NHS report that branded the clinic unsafe for children. Delighted at the outcome, former Equalities Minister and one-time Tory leadership contender Kemi Badenoch tweeted, I can't state enough how profound this decision is. There's lots I can say now. I'm no longer Equalities Minister like the personal testimonies heard of destroyed childhoods having to protect whistleblowing clinicians from endless harassment by Twitter activists. The battles fought to get the review going. The smearing of women who had serious concerns as uh, serious uh, concerns as turfs and bigots and how this links to wider problems such as the credulity of some MPs who allow policymaking to be subverted by groups such as Stonewall. While the frontrunner of the leadership race, Liz Truss also tackled the issue of gender ideology and its impact on our children head-on as she and Rishi Hunak were grilled at the first hustings in Leeds tonight. Look. First of all... I do not believe that under 18 should be able to make irreversible decisions about their own bodies that they might, they might come to regret later. So I think it's very important to note that. And of course, schools should be sensitive. They can provide additional facilities, but it should not be at the expense of protecting young girls. From next spring, Tavistock will be replaced by regional centres at existing children's hospital that will seek to offer more holistic care and a broader range of doctors. Uh, but even with testimony like that from Kira Bell, which we saw earlier in the show, extreme trans lobbyists are railing against the clinic's closure. So, Sarah Vine, has the NHS done the right thing by closing the Not a moment too soon. They should have closed it. A long time ago. I mean, the Casper Report report is really devastating, and it's you know it's not it's not just that there are lots of people who who feel that they're like like Kira Bell who feel that they have been sort of led in the wrong direction. Um, it's just that what they're doing is it's all about ideology. It doesn't seem to be about the people involved. It's it's all about we must. This is our ideology. We're going to pursue it. And these children are you know sort of swept up in that. And the thing is, nobody is ever going to say that somebody who is trans should have to live in the wrong body. But there are huge questions about age and responsibility and, you know, at what stage you allow people to make irreversible changes to their physical being. And we heard from the guest you know, earlier... In this some time, of which will leave you... Adult. Yeah, and some of which will leave you infertile or you'll have to be on yep. drugs for your whole life. I mean, not just... A, these are really long-term you know, decisions that these people are having to make. And a lot of the um, attacks on people like J.K. Rowling and anyone who's, who's ever dared to question this dogma have been so incredibly vicious. And it's, it's nice now to see that the NHS... Well, to see that the tide is slightly turning and we're coming back to a position where we're trying to be... Very sympathetic, but we're also trying to be responsible about this. Yeah, well, your newspaper, The Daily Mail, has done a rare mm. front-page comment yeah. on this tomorrow where it says, in years to come, we will surely look back and yeah. wonder how this was ever allowed to happen at all. 
But if there is one lesson to be learned, let it be this. We must never let the rantings of a fringe minority mm. silence free speech, reason and medical mm. evidence. I mean, one of the, one of the really uh, key sticking points on, the, on all of this is conversion therapy. You know that there's been this whole big argument about whether parents should question their child's desire to change their sex or whether doctors could do it or whether professionals generally can do it. And, you know, the, the Tavistock and, and, the, and Stonewall and these very quite, you know, have always been against that. So if you're a parent and your child says, you've got a, a girl and they want to be a boy, you can't say, are you sure? You know, do you, shall we talk about this? Shall we explore this? Shall we make counseling. sure? Yeah, that, that... That's, I think that's the thing that nobody really likes to talk about. Mm. And I think that's because this whole thing is ideologically driven. Mm. Um, a lot of the time when children express that they feel as though they're in the wrong body or they want to be um, another sex, there are, there are mental health issues that should be explored mm. and addressed before any permanent decisions are made. The Washington Post did a really um, interesting story on this, where one parent spoke of how their 13-year-old um, daughter, Patricia, expressed that they, you know, wanted to be transgender. This was actually after they'd been sexually assaulted mm. by an older girl. Mm. Um, she was taken to the therapist. The therapist said, no, we need to affirm her identity. But then when she was taken to a different therapist, it emerged actually why she wanted mm. um, to change her sex. And then shortly after those issues were addressed, she no longer felt as though well, she indeed. was transgender. And, and Richie Heron, who was on the show earlier tonight, essentially realised he was a gay man. Mm. And it was just this repressed mm. sexuality. And the moment he went through the surgery, and by, by the way, you know, the medical issues he's going to have now for the rest of his mm, life, they've removed his genitals, He, you know... And and he realised it was a mistake. Now, Amy, I know you strongly disagree and you think the Tavistock Clinic should have no, kept it, going. No, the Tavistock Clinic was littered with problems. The CAS report demonstrated that. However, don't tar the brush of a problematic clinic. Uh, don't, don't attach that immediately to the therapies they offered. The therapies they offered are vital. And the conversation about we're going to um, help trans kids more by opening these remote um, facilities is probably not going to happen. And the, until the government take it seriously and ban confer, conversion therapy that tortures is it trans, is it trans kids and, and acknowledges no and acknowledges and acknowledges that children experiencing gender dysphoria need to be taken seriously and in some cases deserve to have the, the health care which could That's involve no, puberty. But it's not conversion it's, not, it's not conversion therapy to say to someone who is aged eight, because this is the this is these are the ages we're talking about, you know, who says I would like to it's not conversion therapy to say, let's just wait and see how well, you feel in five years. No, that's what therapy, they would consider would be to be conversion therapy. You, you they would be they it. would consider that to be an abuse of a trans child because you're not allowing them to affirm their identity. Now, the thing is, they may well be trans. I'm not saying that they're not. But the point is, is that before you start rewiring your plumbing, to put it, you know, to put it politely, you need to be sure because there's no going there back. we know there are hundreds that are not. We but know no, no, there no. are hundreds that are not. But I Factually, think the fundamental ideolo ideological difference here is Dominique says there, there's no such thing as trans kids, and you obviously think there are. That's absolutely a ridiculous thing to say, Dominique. I don't think there is any it's such thing as a really trans kid. It's really quite offensive there as well. Are, I don't think it's Do, offensive. Can, I think can it's we, the can, truth. Can, can I think there is such thing as a child with gender dysphoria, but to say there is such thing as transgender children, I think is child abuse and is extremely misleading. If that child then 
decides when they grow up they want to act upon that gender dysphoria, which is a mental condition, by undergoing by treatment which time, or having By which time it's too surgery. late and then they look and too masculine and they're my, by society. My... And you say they're too masculine, they do this. You need to catch this early, but it is a catch very minority. People, can I just say about detransitioners? Detransitioners make up 1% of those who start on this road to therapy. Therapy helps and many, large, many more. A large proportion, than... proportion of detransitioners, one of the main reasons, one of the main problems that they identify is their underlying issues not actually being explored mm, So they're still unhappy. Well, that's actually well, heralded. And it's so disturbing to read his testimony. He had two counselling mm. sessions, right, about half an hour each. Mm. And what was most shocking is he was basically worried that if he didn't go through with the mm. surgical procedure, they were going to take away mm. his free counselling. So there's mm. a real push, like there is in loads of parts of the NHS, go on antidepressants. Well, they're very vulnerable, these people. They're, 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 they're naturally yes. vulnerable people. On the issue of children, as in, you know, underage, people who have not gone through puberty, I've, ha I've had two children, and I would say that most children are pretty gender fluid, naturally. Mm. You know, one day they want to be a girl, the next day they want to be a boy, then they want to be a cat or an elephant or whatever. <laughs> yeah. We're not you know, talking about but, those. But what I'm saying is, is that I don't think it's until they get to puberty that they really Absolutely. start to sort of... But even at puberty, the human hormones... Can I say one final last word thing? Only, yes. My final word is that these therapies are backed by the British Medical Journal and the British Psychological Society. These are not... Uh, by therapies, what do you mean, like, specifically? Hormone blockers. Right, hormone blockers that have, that have life changing, the life -changing effects, like bone thinning, mm -hmm. side effect, they're, they're potential side, side effects, effect. but these are things that are, are lifelong. Um, one woman, you know, what's lifelong? Took, one, one Being told woman, to hate yourself and that you that, don't exist, which well, is what you're saying. That's not what anyone's saying. That's, no, you're that's not. not what anyone's saying. What I'm saying is, gender dysphoria is a mental condition, and that's factual, and that instead of encouraging children to um, Inject themselves it's not with encouraging them. hormones. It's making accessible when issues, necessary. Issues should be explored first. Mm. It's just making it available when it's necessary and admitting that there are merits to these therapies and not just no ruling them. But going back to the initial thing, the, 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 the Tavistock Clinic was an ideologically driven yes. medical facility. So if you listen and to that's the wrong. of Kirabel, yeah. she felt pushed yeah. into this. She was given the treatment at 16 yeah. years old. It has physically destroyed her. And there is a reason why trans, the number of trans children that we're seeing is skyrocketing. And it's not because they're all of a sudden having this great awakening. It's because it's being popularised and actually pushed culturally. I mean, if you look at TikTok, it's absolutely full of people glamorising what they call top surgery and all of this kind of stuff. And children are very susceptible. Now, the Tavistock and Portman NHS Foundation Trust said today its staff had worked tirelessly and under intense scrutiny in a difficult climate. However, they acknowledge the level of care required cannot and should not be met by a single highly specialist national service and the necessity for children to, quote, access care and support in a timely fashion within a joined-up system. Well, Hal is well and truly frozen over because I'm about to say something I never thought I'd say, actually. I agree with Owen Jones. Uh, but stick with me huh? here because it's the utter incompetence of Keir Starmer that has united us in a blistering Twitter tirade sparked by the Labour leader's stance on strikes or lack thereof. The socialist pipsqueak called out Slippery Starmer for being an empty vessel with no actual guiding philosophy apart from an overwhelming lust for power. Watch. Keir Starmer is a professional political combat. Don't use those words lightly. In order to become leader of the Labour Party, he made a series of solemn commitments, pledges, he called them, which were radical domestic policies 
and party unity. He has brazenly, overtly delivered the exact opposite. I know his army of supporters online, the most tedious, ridiculous, Waitrose customers that you will ever come across. They they think it's all fine because they don't believe in anything. They made their entire political identity Brexit and stopping Brexit for years. He is somebody who lies as a matter of course in order to secure power. He's not fit to be leader of the Labour Party and he's not fit to be Prime Minister of the country. I mean, look, he did lie. He completely lied during the campaign. And this is disastrous for Labour because it shows just how bitterly divided the left in this country is, even when they're closer to governing than they have been in years, thanks to a smear campaign against Boris Johnson. They still can't resist tearing themselves apart. However, as usual, um, champagne communist Owen took things one step too far by calling on his one million followers to set upon Starmer if they see him out in public. In a now-deleted tweet, uh, the ghoulish Guardian griper wrote, if you see Keir Starmer out and about, call him what he is, a con man and a liar, and film it. Enough of letting our politicians get away with this grotesque levels of dishonesty. Owen, think about it. You've been assaulted in public before. You, more than anyone, mm. should realise how stupidly irresponsible that statement was. Shame on you. And with that, normal service is resumed. Uh, Sarah Vine, Dominic Samuels, Amy Nicole, thank you so much. But do stand by because coming up, my superstar panel are going to nominate for tonight's greatest Britain and union jackass. But first, is it time to cleanse the country of COVID propaganda? Rapper, author and podcast host Zuby wants to know why the establishment is dragging its feet on this and says we all need to speak up. He's uncancelled next. First, though, quick look uh, on a really exciting show Monday. Coming up on Dan Wooten tonight after the NHS shutters the Tavascott Gender Identity Clinic for failing vulnerable children. Carabelle, who blew the whistle on their controversial practices after they encouraged her to undergo a transition she later regretted, speaks out after winning her battle against trans extremism. Why is there a mad push to get the world-eating insects? The State of Fair author Laura Dodsworth tries to make sense of this latest assault in the war on meat. Plus, there's opinion galore from Brendan O'Neill and my superstar panel, former MEP and father of the outgoing PM, Stanley Johnson, Daily Express columnist Carol Malone, and senior reporter at the I newspaper, Benjamin Butterworth. That's Dan Wooten tonight, Monday to Thursday, from 9pm till 11pm on GB News. But it's time now for Uncancelled. And this is where Britain's top commentators speak out on controversial issues without the fear of the cancel culture sweeping the rest of the media. And with COVID hysteria still prevalent in some pockets of the country, a vigilante movement to rid our streets and buildings of pandemic propaganda is gaining fierce momentum. Ordinary members of the public fed up with seeing old signs and posters demanding we mask up and stay away from each other are taking it upon themselves to tear them down. One of Britain's top businessmen, Luke Johnson, took aim at Transport for London with this tweet last week demanding to know why the, quote, neurotic bullies were still showing the threatening out-of-date orders to muzzle faces with bacteria-ridden face nappies. Meanwhile, rapper, author and social media star Zuby has also been getting in on ridding the world of authoritarian COVID messaging, revealing... I've started quietly taking down COVID-19 poster ads in hotels, 
gyms, elevators, etc. Yes, they are ads, and they will stay up forever unless we take it upon ourselves to remove them. Most gyms, shops, hotels, restaurants, schools and public areas still have these dumb social distancing and wear a mask posters up everywhere. We don't need constant and permanent reminders of this nonsense. Most of them have been outdated or have incorrect information on them anyway, so it's akin to removing litter. Subi, I mean... These sinister signs were designed to nudge people's behaviour and by leaving them up, folk have been denied the chance to move on, really. Not to mention the fact they're an eyesore. So why is the establishment dragging its feet over cleansing us of this COVID propaganda? I'll be honest, Dan. I think that the majority of people have just forgotten. I think the entire thing went on for such a long period of time that people who work in shops and hotels and gyms and other public areas, I, I think people, no one's told them to take them down. And I think that people have just gotten so used to seeing them over the course of the past two and a half years. And uh, perhaps other people just think that, oh, someone else is, someone else is gonna do it. Someone else is gonna take it down. But I think that they should be brought down because we don't need permanent reminders for the rest of our lives um about this incident and the information is is totally out of date i would argue it ne much of it never made sense anyway um, no it never made sense this. yeah no, and it, none and of it made sense anymore but Zubi, yeah, what i love about your campaign is it has gone truly international you've had tens of thousands of people all around the world doing this and seriously i think this has to become a movement and what really fascinated me is you said in all of the responses uh, you've got you reckon only about one percent of people actually want the posters to remain in place yeah most people want to get rid of this most people have moved on and most people want to move on of course, there's a tiny, tiny percentage of people who, for whatever reason it is, we could have a deep psychological analysis of this, but they don't want to move on. They've quite enjoyed having all of these restrictions and going around and being authoritarian and telling other people what to do, where to stand, what direction to walk in, what to wear, cover your face, do this, do that. And I think a lot of people have tripped off that power and they don't really want it to end. And I think some people are just very, very neurotic and it's yeah. not enough for them to behave how they want to behave and they still want to co constantly remind, if not force other people about this. But it, it's been time to move on for a long time. And um, I think we should get rid of the remainder of these. Subi, can I just ask quickly, what, what, what do you do though, if like the gym manager is standing over there or there's like, someone in the hotel elevator, do you, do you talk to them and do you explain what you're doing? Or are you just like, boom, it's coming down? Uh, for me personally, I've just been quietly doing it. I mean, I normally go to the gym when barely anyone is there and I go to lots of different gyms. And um, if I'm there and I'm on, a, I'm on a treadmill or I'm doing my weights and I see a sign in front of me, blue text to the mirror saying, you know, stand six feet apart or wear a mask or whatever, um, I just take it upon myself it. to take it down. I love like it. I'd clean up litter. No, Zuby, I'm going to join you now. I promise you I'm joining you on this. <laughs> Rapper, Excellent. author, host of the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Thank you so much. But it's time now to reveal tonight's greatest Britain in Union jackass. My superstar panel return now. Sarah Vine, who's your greatest Britain? Kemi Badenoch. Just for a brilliant campaign. Just for a brilliant... And also for saying that thing about oh, the yes. today. No, of course, she was very good, wasn't yeah. she? Uh, Dominique Samuels, your greatest Britain. 
Uh, mine is barrister um, Alison Bailey for oh, securing yes. a win for women across the country um, when an employment tribunal found that her chambers had discriminate, discriminated against her for holding a complaint uh, put forward by Stonewall. Good on you. And Amy Nicole, your nominee. Um, it's, oh, I've just forgot. You Martin Lewis, we spoke about them earlier. That, yeah, because um, I was going to say something about that. Uh, yeah, Martin Lewis, because he's urging that uh, Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak take the cost of living crisis uh, seriously and start urgently looking at solutions that we really desperately need. Mm. OK, well, I am going to go with Sarah, actually, and Kemi Badenoch, because I really thought that uh, tweet about the Tavistock Clinic today was fascinating. She knows a lot about this and there's a lot more to emerge. Sarah Vine, what about your Union Jackass nomination? Well, I love her, but it was Emma Barnett this week because the idea that you would change the name of the lionesses to the lions is just a bit silly, really. Yes, yeah, so well, so I think lions discussed on, on women's hour. Yeah. Ask the question. Well, I think no, she seemed. Though, no, she did seem to think. I mean, I think it's such lioness... a stupid question; it shouldn't even it, it, be it asked. <laughs> lionesses sound much better than lions, anyway. Yeah. yeah. Well, everyone knows that the lions just sit around doing nothing. With gendered all day. language. Yeah. What are we doing yeah. to we ourselves? And it's women's football and lioness as a women lion, yeah. so that's obviously and what it's it should be. it's an amazing name that we've all embraced <laughs> and good luck to the lionesses on, on yeah. Sunday. Uh, Dominique, your union jackass. <laughs> my union jackass is the vegan protesters. Oh, my God! Making a fool of themselves, so pouring milk on the floor in Harrods. I think they need a burger more than anything else. These goons have made me so furious all day. Look at them for drinking milk! pathetic people. Genuinely, I want them locked up. I'm not even joking. All of them should be in jail. It is criminal damage. Amy DeCal, your Union Jackass nominee. Um, people who should be in prison. Shell and Centrica bosses for recording absolutely massive profits. So what have they done that's illegal? Million. Sorry, what have they done that's illegal? Make money. Profiteering? <laughs> well, you, you tell me that when you get your energy bill in this autumn. Actually, it'd be fine for you because you're loaded. But audience... <laughs> Yours won't be. <sighs> I mean, I mean, <laughs> well, look, I'm clearly going for the animal rebellion. Lock them up. Honestly, lock these criminals up. I am done with them. Amy Nicole, Dominic Samuel, Sarah Vine, thank you for being my last fabulous superstar panel of the week. But, of course, I am back Monday from 9pm. Headliners is next, so have an amazing weekend. Good night. Dan Button here again. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of my podcast, Uncancelled. Did you like what you hear? Well, remember to subscribe, rate and review and join me for more newsmaking interviews, fiery debate and free speech on Dan Button tonight every Monday to Thursday from 9pm till 11pm on GB News.